You are a toy! You weren't the real Buzz Lightyear, you're, a, uh, you're an action figure! You are a child's plaything! You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. Farewell. Welcome, everybody, to the Monthly Movie Dispatch. Every month, we get together and disc our favorite new movie we saw in the last month. We pick a new favorite and answer questions about it. What separates us from the other 100,000 other movie-related shows that were high school friends and been discussing movies for 10 years at least. We we love talking film, and we'd be doing it even if no one was listening. I'm Nick Moffat, and I'm here today with uh, Brandon Bowlby in New York City. How's it going? Sean Bowlby in Seattle, Washington. That's me. And Derek, whatcha deal in Everett, Washington? Hello. Um, how you, how you doing today, guys? What's happening? Doing good. Pretty good. Doing good. Ready to talk film. <clears throat> yeah, man. Uh, so we're midsummer now. July's coming up. Um, I don't know about you guys, but June June was kind of a weird month with movies. I felt it was kind of slow, but um, I'm I'm really excited about July. Um, but mm-hmm. we we're not here to talk about July. We're here to talk about June. The first thing we're gonna do is talk about our summer movie wager update. Um, you guys all know if you've been listening to us that we have a bet going on uh, to see what the top ten in order highest grossing movies of the summer are. And uh, we're, we're going to keep doing updates as the summer goes along. So real quick, going into the going into the summer movie wager updates, um, there were a lot of disappointing sequels. That's kind of been the big running theme of the summer ever since ever since uh, Endgame came out and just destroyed everything. There haven't every other movie, every other movie that's supposed to be big has been kind of, has been kind of a letdown in terms of box office. I'm talking about, um, dark Phoenix, men in black completely flopped. Godzilla didn't do that. Great. Secret life of pets made a decent amount of money, but, um, not nothing, not particularly Mm -hmm. nothing right home about. Right. Um, so I don't know. What do you guys think is going on? Um, uh, like well, let's, people, let's people are the words uh, franchise. Wait, what? What are they? What are they saying? Franchise. Uh, franchise fatigue. I'm sure one of you said it there, but I didn't <laughs> catch franchise what, fatigue. Yeah, franchise fatigue. <clears throat> that uh, that I don't, that that kind of seems to be what's happening. People just don't really care about. So you know, another Men in Black movie. Maybe it's just not a safe bet. Um, but mm-hmm. to say like full franchise franchise fatigue, I mean, we also have Avengers, mm-hmm. Aladdin, John Wick, and Toy Story, and Detective Pikachu, yeah, all doing pretty great, and every single one of those are franchises as well. So I mean, I don't think franchise fatigue explains all of it. I think it's maybe just like franchise does not equal safe bet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I agree with that. It's not. Uh, Obviously, fr- franchises will always be making money, but th- it's not a guaranteed thing. Yeah, the movie also has to have something else. It has to either be good or be doing something right. Yeah, I think that's a... I think, oh, go ahead, Derek. Oh, I was just going to say, I think Endgame really does have a big wake mm-hmm. behind it, too, because obviously people saw it multiple times. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I, I, I bet, like, you know, the kids that are going to see it on their parents' money, going to the movie theaters, which is a lot of these movies are aimed towards younger kids. 
Um, I doubt a lot of parents are like forking money out for Endgame three times, and then also Secret Life of Pets, and then mm-hmm. also Godzilla, and all you know. Yeah, they're do- they're doing Endgame, and they're saving money for Toy Story and Lion King, and I think a lot of this also has to do with, um, I mean, like it or not. Uh, Rotten Tomato reviews or just general consensus like all the movies mm-hmm. so far in that list that you that you said Nick that have been doing bad the general consensus is that they're bad movies and yeah. whether we necessarily agree with them or not I mean we can have a different discussion about Nick Men in Black and me and Derek Dark Phoenix but um, all those movies that are doing bad were critically panned in different ways yeah and the ones doing good were not panned but I mean, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know if that's completely it though because Aladdin is doing great. Aladdin just keeps making all the money, but yeah, you know, that one that didn't get very right. good reviews either. Yeah, it didn't pretty mm-hmm. mixed. But it's but it, also got like a lot of people it's mm-hmm. carrying with it from the old Aladdin too, you know. Yeah, and that, and that was kind of the first uh, big family movie that was released. So that's kind of a different audience as well, different target audience than the rest of them. I think it's going to be tough for Disney to craft one of these classic movie remakes and have it bomb. Like, I, I would bet none of them are going to bomb at all. Dumbo? And Aladdin's probably on the low end of how... Did Dumbo bomb? Did Dumbo bomb? Yeah, still Dumbo made, bombed. Like, did it? <laughs> everything I, I feel it, like we're predicting uh, doesn't hold true with everything um, mm-hmm, so right. far there's that we've no, said. There's no rules here. Yeah, there's no rules here. Dumbo made $114 million off of $170 million, but it did, you know, worldwide make three fifty. dollars so. Yeah, it made enough, but it wasn't impressive. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, definitely let's not couple, in the United States. Let's take a couple steps back real quick and go back to what Brandon said about Rotten Tomatoes, though, because both both you, Brandon, and Derek saw Dark Phoenix, and uh, you that has one of the lowest Rotten Tomatoes scores of any X Men movie, and both you guys were pretty surprised by that because you guys liked it. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I you uh, liked it, or you just didn't think it was as bad as people. I acted both. I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. There's some great Hmm. and interesting craft all throughout that movie that I was Hmm. loving and fully on board for, and um, the issues that people have with it, I I definitely can see. Um, I can see them, and they exist. But I don't know where this like full on train wreck of a thought comes from with that movie because I did not see that at all. Yeah. And the weird part is like it's it's low points. Like the X-Men franchise itself has movies with far lower points, like of the same like kind of things that people are pointing out that don't work about this movie. It's like there's other X-Men movies that do the same thing worse. Hmm. Yeah. In it, fact, I'd say like the last the last Brian Singer one, like in yeah. every way it was way worse than this. Right. Uh, and apocal- he got double the like Rotten Tomatoes score. Yeah, Dark Phoenix got 23% Rotten Tomatoes that uh, for critics and then 64 for users, so... Yeah. Yeah. Some, what did, is that some the, what did Apocalypse get? What? I mean, what did, what did Apocalypse get? I mean, that's what you're alluding to with the other Brian Singer movie. Yeah, I feel for, like it's like 50... Let's see. 52%? 52%? No way. Yeah. 
Oh wait, sorry. Like uh, that movie. Forty-seven percent. So here's forty-seven percent. Forty-seven. Still. So yeah, <clears throat> yeah, double. More than double. Yeah. So can I can I say is that the um, lowest rated uh, move, X-Men movie on Rotten Tomatoes? The closest yep. is Origins with 37%. Yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> um, I mean, a couple things that stood out. Uh, for the one of the first times, for some reason, you get really intricate, intense X-Men power, like intertwining action. That is how you would expect a fight to go down with completely like varying powers amongst an entire group of people colliding. And the way they shoot that and film it and show all these different powers coming together is really, really amazing. And they do it on multiple occasions throughout this movie. And like you said at one point, Derek, like this is the first X-Men movie where they actually have an X-Men mission. Right. (laughs) Somehow. And it's amazing. It's it's, really good. And it's really good. Um, The acting is some of the best (laughs) in the entire X-Men series. It's the performances are outstanding in this film. Um, and, uh, yeah, the cinematography and editing looks great. The effects look great. Um, all that about it was, and the, the dialogue is, I mean, you said this first, Eric, on your letterbox review, but the dialogue is different and unique and it really works well in this film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this movie also has a lot of baggage with it too, being like one of those movies that carried over to Disney after they bought Fox and they were deciding whether or not to read to even release it. Um, they refilmed the ending because apparently after they saw uh, Captain Marvel, apparently they had very, very similar endings. Mm. And so they decided to scrap the whole ending of this movie, rewrite it and reshoot it. Wow. And that's crazy. And what's that's crazy, crazy is the ending's great too. Like, so <laughs> I don't know. It's weird, but I think all of that, I think a lot of that behind the scenes stuff, um, affected people's opinion of the movie well so for me you know i i've loved the extra movies you know yeah since the first one i still i still go back to the first one x2 yeah fantastic but then even like these future past was my favorite one um i yeah. liked how they did the reboot um uh you know for me as someone who didn't see dark phoenix there couldn't have been a more like irrelevant movie like I just, I just had, I don't, I think it, I think it was partly because of how bad Apocalypse was and like, mm. I just, Apocalypse sucked away all of my interest in those series of characters. And it just didn't make sense to me how they were, you know, spacing them out every 10 years, but the actors weren't growing and it just, you know, it just, you knew that there wasn't going to be anything else. Like, you knew that, right. you knew that it was going to Disney, these characters were done, but the movie just had no buzz. Like, you, Derek, when you saw it and you said it was actually pretty good, you were the first person that I ever heard say that. And I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't been hearing that it was a train wreck. I just, no one cared. And, including myself. And I mean, I, I feel kind of bad about it because I've loved X-Men for so long. And this is the final one of all the, of this whole long series, but it just was like, wow. Uh, no interest. Yeah. How did that happen? I, I mean, do you think another part of it is also the dark Phoenix aspect of it? In my head, that was kind of like one of the most uninteresting things they could have chosen is like, Spinning that back up for the third time, I, I wish they had just gone in such a different direction before I saw the movie. That was one thing that for turned sure. me off. 
I think that probably fans of X-Men, I think that probably turned them off because it's mm-hmm. like, it's something you build up to. It's not something you just do this on the second movie that we've seen this character in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, Hey guys, let's do another Joker movie. Yeah. You're so yeah. done. <laughs> um, I mean, I think there's something else going on too with uh, film uh, criticism these days where, um, People love to hate things. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been this way for a while, but like, uh, it's like what I'm saying is there was not a lot of interest in the movie, but then because of that, it seemed like people were really ready to jump all over it and just just to hate it. You know, like just this is the mm. biggest stinker ever. You know, and yeah. I mean, I feel I feel like this keeps happening though. Like, I mean, Men in Black got seriously bad reviews too, and. Uh, again, I think that was probably. I mean, I again haven't seen Dark Phoenix, but I didn't think Men in Black was a bad movie. I didn't think it was a good movie either. I thought it was just like a fine, like it had its moments, it had some laughs, it had you know some cool people in it, but um, you know it it was just like okay, well that was a summer movie that did its thing. Okay, cool. And then I go home yeah. and see it as like the worst reviews, and it makes zero money because of it. It's just, I don't know, surprising. Were you like mm-hmm. around two point five ish, like three with it? I gave it, I gave it three stars because that's yeah, what I give movies that Dark to Phoenix me are me. just like, yeah. I wonder I just, if part of it has to do with like people feeling almost, you know, betrayed by it. They feel like you know, if you're if you are going to reap the benefits of having a franchise movie, like have a name like Men in Black or or X Men in your title, uh, you know, you need to be held accountable if you don't meet certain expectations or if you don't meet a certain level of quality. Um, but yeah, I wonder if it's, it has something to do with that. Like if you don't reach a certain level, it's just, you know, the gloves are coming off. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That might be it. Uh, Like people care more once they're invested into it. Mm hmm. Um, I mean, I think that's partly why Aladdin's doing so well. Like, going back real quick, we were talking about Aladdin before. Uh, Aladdin just keeps making money, and it, it actually just popped up on the 100 highest grossing movies of all time list, and it's like number 78 now. So, I mean, I'm going to have to see it if I'm going to... I'm trying to get all 100. I have five left. Well, six left now with Aladdin. But, um, uh, Brenda, I think you're the only one that saw it. <laughs> And I don't think we need yeah. to really go too in depth on it, but um, I know you weren't a fan of it. Yeah, um, I kind of got drugged to go see it. Like I, I was planning on watching it, kind of like drugged? you, like <laughs> dragged, you got drugged. Branded. I got, oh, okay. I got pulled. <laughs> I got pulled to go <laughs> see it. Thought you like um, you took a drink and then like passed out and woke up in the Aladdin in Aladdin theater. <laughs> God, worst nightmare. <laughs> Um, like kind of like you, Nick, I was planning on like renting it later, just like out of obligation to see what it was all about. Um, but I did end up seeing it in theaters and it's, <laughs> there's a lot of aspects of it that were cheap and cheesy and kind of embarrassing. Um, and surprisingly to me, Will Smith was one of the better parts of the film. Like, um, he had some, he definitely had a couple of the better scenes throughout the movie that were the most enjoyable and entertaining. And which makes sense because it's Will Smith and he's got a ton of charisma and he's playing an amazing character in that film. Um, I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately. 
<laughs> Surprisingly, Will Smith is the best part of this movie. It's happened his like last three, four movies. Right. Well, um, yeah, he's Will Smith. Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, it was just, a weird, so, weird high budget movie that didn't come off that way. All right, so Aladdin, though, is a movie that I think, in general, people were apprehensive about. Even though, like, I mean, I think, you know, because Will Smith looked weird as a genie, and it just kind of... I think there were a few things going against Aladdin, and then it didn't get very good reviews, and you didn't like it. But um, it, it makes me think that The Lion King is going to destroy at the box office. If Aladdin's yeah, going to yeah. do... If, Al- if Aladdin's going to do pretty good, I just... I, I don't see how The Lion King is not going to make, you know, twice as much. Yeah. I, I will say uh, Aladdin had the best reviews of these movies that we've been talking about. Out of Men in yeah. Black, Dark Phoenix, and Godzilla, all three of which bombed. And even Secret Life of Pets. Actually, I didn't I didn't look up Secret Life of Pets. But, you know, we're talking tw- in the 20s for Dark Phoenix and, um, and Men in Black. And then... Uh, Aladdin got in the in the I think fifty seven fifty eight. You guys know so that um, fifty seven Secret Life yeah. of Pets and Aladdin were both fifty seven. Mm. Do you guys know mm. how much the original Lion King made? No, uh, don't uh, have to guess. Top Nearly a billion sure. dollars. Yeah, in nineteen ninety five. In nineteen ninety five, a billion dollars, and uh, you know how much Aladdin made in nineteen ninety two? How much? About five hundred million. Wow. Granted, this is worldwide, but uh, that mm-hmm. just kind of goes to show you the like scope of how the zeitgeist yeah. of how people remember these films. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're doing we're doing ours uh, summer movie wager uh, just uh, in the United States, but looking at our current standings, um, it's pretty interesting. Like, I feel like the rest of summer, it's it's going to be very curious to see how this goes down. Right now. Brandon is killing it. I mean, he's in first place by a long shot, but mm-hmm. that's not usually a good thing at this point in the summer. So Brandon yeah. has 60 points, but that's because he's got his number 10 right on with Men in Black, and he's got his number 9 with Dark Phoenix. And yeah. number 8 so is good. Godzilla. So all three of those are not going to be on the top 10 by the end of the summer. But mm-hmm. yeah. Brandon's the only one of us who has The Lion King at number two. The rest of us have Toy Story 4 at number two. And Toy Story 4 made a good amount of money, and it's probably going to have legs for the next few weeks. But I don't know. I'm pretty convinced yep. at this point that Lion King is going to crush Toy Story. And if I mean, Lion King crushes Toy Story, that means I also lock in uh, Toy Story two and as three. well on top of you yeah. guys. Because Toy Story is going to get more than Aladdin. Yeah, that's true. So, and that gives Brandon a uh, six-point advantage. So, the di- that's a difference of Brandon will be getting ten points for each of those, and we'll all be getting seven points for each of those. But to give it a little bit of perspective, if you get rid of the four movies that are six through ten, which we all agree are, there's no chance that they're going to be in the I virtually don't no chance to agree be in with the top that. 10. Pets could could still make it. Like Derek, pets. yeah, that that puts if you get rid of those four movies, that puts Derek in the lead. Uh, with you know, by I think at least four or five points, it's hard to kind of tell because he guessed Detective Pikachu pretty well. 
Well, I mean, just if if we're if this this uh, kind of distribution list means anything to us, Derek is in the lead. If you get rid of those four movies that we all know aren't going to make the top ten, right, right. right. So I mean, what else? What see. else might pop on here? Nick. There's four other movies that we there's four big movies that we need to pay attention to for the rest of the summer. And there's mm-hmm. always at this point, there's room for something else to come in and sneak in. Like there's certainly room for a crazy rich Asians or something to sneak in. But at this mm-hmm. point, the four big movies are Lion King, Spider-Man Far From Home, Hobbs and Shaw and Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time mm-hmm. in America. So Hollywood, Hollywood, America is the Western. So um, interesting. Yeah, so those are the Which four I guess that that is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is kind of <clears throat> the one that could go either way. Um, Will Spider-Man right? make more than Aladdin? I, I think it's be right around there. It's yeah, like yeah. Spider-Man's going to underperform. Yeah. Ooh, hot take, Derek. So, <laughs> well, it's just in a weird place of being post Endgame. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I'm not. I love Spider-Man. I, I'm definitely going to see it, but like, I'm not, I'm still kind of reeling from the end game fallout. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how, I don't know. It's kind of, it'll be interesting to see yeah. what people do. The, the trailer doesn't but, look nearly as good as, um, like the, uh, homecoming and it, it's, it doesn't really feel nearly as exciting as end game. Not that any movie could be, but, um, <laughs> Right. I don't know. I think I think they're trying to position it as like this is the cool down movie. Yeah. Like I think they're intentionally doing that. They're like, gonna they're not be dealing is, with the repercussions. It's of, like an yeah, HBO I mean, episode ten. Spider <laughs> Spider Man's right, going yeah, to make the, a lot of money. You know, it'll yeah. make, well, and we'll talk about it next. We'll talk about it probably next month unless all four of us hate it. But I'm sure one of us will pick it next month. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, that's our. I think we should move on to another segment. That was yeah. our. Uh, that was our summer movie wager uh, recap. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit, it's a pretty fun uh, way to, you know, track what's happening with movies over the summer. So, uh, but uh, the thing about the summer movie wager is that they're only we only talk about the movies that are making a bunch of money or are expected to make a bunch of money. Uh, there's also usually a bunch of smaller movies that um, are more acclaimed than. Than the the big summer blockbusters, which uh, leads us into Sean's movie choice mm. for the month of June. Um, mm-hmm. Sean, do you want to introduce your movie? Yeah, I sure do. Um, I picked the movie Booksmart. Um, so Booksmart is a, uh, a movie directed by Olivia Wilde, starring uh, em- Emily Halpern and Sarah Haskins. Um, the IMDb summary is on the eve of their high school graduation. Did I did I butcher that? No, no you're doing good. <laughs> oh, sorry. I mean, uh, on the on the eve of their high school graduation, two academic superstars and best friends realize they should have spent less time. Uh, they should have worked less and played more. Determined not to fall short of their peers, the girls uh, try to cram four years of fun into one night. <clears throat> um. So yeah, uh, I I just really enjoyed this movie. Um, the movie at its core is a really great, fun and funny, absolutely hilarious, uh, very adventurous coming of age high school comedy. It sounds right up Derek's alley. Um, yeah, this is uh, such a Derek movie. <laughs> yeah, but it, it feels like such a great blend of 
kind of a Judd Apatow movie and a um, a John Hughes comedy um, in that like it has a lot of uh, a lot of the humor comes from it's uh, it, like drug use and sex, but it has a lot of the themes and characterizations as like a John Hughes movie. Um, like one one thing that stands out to me from 16 Candles, which we kind <clears> of <throat> grew up with, uh, is how many easily recognizable and identifiable characters, different characters there are in that movie. Um that are just so unique and, and have, they're just kind of background characters, but they really provide a great, um, kind of, um, vibrant, uh, and and complexity, vibrancy and complexity, uh, that shows that the, the world kind of goes beyond what the movie is, just what the movie is showing us. And I think this movie does the same thing. Yeah, there's 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 one character in that movie who pops up at every like in, in the movie they go to a, f- a few different parties and there's one character who pops up at every party and she steals the show for every for me at least every time she shows up. It's yeah. like, "Oh wow, she's here too." Amazing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that was a great um, reoccurring gag. That was one of the best in the movie yeah. for sure. Yeah, and there's like I think that's also kind of one of the themes of the movie is is really looking at all the characters that surround us and and not just seeing them as these one dimensional characters or, or you know characters that come in and out of our own lives, but they're they're people that have their own problems and they have their own complexities and and um, you know seeing them the way that they want uh, uh, that that we wish they would see us. Um, and I, th- and I th- really think it does a great job of, um, kind of adding to the genre, adding a new kind of perspective on the coming of age movie and, and, uh, a new kind of way for, for that people come of age and, and learn more about the world and grow as people. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I thought it, <clears throat> it was also had some really great little character moments. One that really stand stood out to me was, when one of the characters was being very self deprecating and, and kind of hard on herself. The other one is just kind of like, no, fuck you. That's my best friend you're talking about. Don't you mm-hmm. ever say that about that person. And oh, yeah. like it, it did such a great job of, of showing the chemistry between these two characters and showing, uh, really what they meant to each other. Um, and it was just so funny. The movie was yeah. so hilarious. I just just nonstop laughing. Um, yeah, I mean, I yeah. I loved, I loved. I thought the concept was pretty brilliant. Honestly, mm-hmm. I thought the the whole idea that these people have been working so hard throughout high school, like not partying. I mean, they're they're fun people, but they're they're studying because they're trying to get into the good colleges, and then they realize that all the other dipshits got into the same colleges. Like, mm-hmm. so they have to go out and party. Like that that to me is like that's that's gold right there. Like that's a yeah, great concept. Sure. But there were so you're t- I'm totally with you. There were so many teeny moments in that movie that just had me laughing so hard like there was one that i've been quoting a bunch where where one of the girls goes oh yeah nick's throwing a party tonight and the other girl goes oh he would he's so fucking stupid <laughs> like, like i don't um, know why that's so funny but <laughs> like just yeah. throwing a party you because guys, he's stupid but yeah did you guys see that portlandia skit about the new hunks 
that are taken over with the uh no okay it's this it's the same concept and it's it's pretty brilliant like mm. it's kind of like a new trend where like being smart and like well groomed and hot is really coming back in style um, and Portlandia mm. comment like has a great commentary skit on it anyways like I thought that was one of the funniest scenes in the movie is when she's finding that out in the bathroom for the first time yeah um for sure. And like, it's kind of spoiled in the trailer a little bit, but like I was on the edge of my seat when they were throwing right. that back in her like rude ass face. But the part that's not in the trailer is her running out into the hall and just grabbing people and going, what college are you, are you going to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So great. Yeah. 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 She's really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such great performances. Like, um, that main character, uh, Oh geez. What's her name? Uh, <clears throat> is it yeah Emily Emily Halpern is that her I don't know why is there no picture on which her? one she's in Ladybird yeah the one who's in Ladybird um okay. yeah she's she was really good in Ladybird as well and uh she was so good in this movie both of them both of the main characters were really good in this movie and it was like it, it was really cleverly directed too. it um there's some great little moments hey derek did you derek did you have a question uh, <laughs> kind of i just put on there uh i was just curious how <laughs> olivia wilde did as a director um yeah there were some really like creative things specifically that uh that they did that was pretty impressive olivia wilde you said is the director yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things, I guess, is more editing, but was the editing in this movie was super tight, like straight from the beginning to the final shot. That's almost a joke in this movie. Um, just their hard cuts that they do throughout. Um, mm-hmm. So like it's the you always learn like to start late and cut early in a scene. And this movie mm-hmm. like really used that to its advantage often yeah. and usually like for the sake of a joke as well. Um, and I thought that worked really well. It was really impressive. Um, also like yeah. visually, especially in the later half of the movie, once they get to the party, there's some like outstanding looking and played out scenes. Um, mm-hmm. the main one is of course the, like the underwater shots and, yeah. uh, uh, the, um, the fight, the, sorry, at the party, <laughs> the, the music, I, I love the perfume genius oh, that yeah, comes on at that moment. Great. Um, uh-huh. That's like one of my favorite artists. And when she dives yeah. underwater, it's, it looks so gorgeous. It was like jaw dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah. fights and the kids turning on their cameras in the background was beautiful. Yeah. And the way the like sex scene in the bathroom plays out, yeah. it was, was really smartly done. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think she also did a the, great job directing. The driving yeah, sure. scene at the end too, where uh, the run the jewels song is playing, you know? No, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It just like, yeah, it had, it had both a really streets. It had both a really great soundtrack and a really good score. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's something about coming-of-age movies where, um, you know, this was a movie about high school girls graduating and uh, moving to a new phase of their life. You know, it's a movie where, like, you know, I'm 31 years old, and I related to it very, very much so. Um my dad went and saw this movie and he really liked it. Like I would pretty much recommend this movie for anybody. Um, which is kind of strange because it's like, you know, it's a movie about like high school girls 
you know, like, but there's something about coming of age movies where the good ones, you, you relate to it universally. You know, we've, we've mm-hmm. been through these things. We've, we've all come of age at certain points or another. And, um, man, this one just, this one really, really hit it. Yeah. I, I, uh, like as soon as we walked out of this movie, uh, I turned to Kelly and I was like, how old do you think you'd have to be to watch a movie like this? Like thinking of my niece and nephew, like I would just, I would love to (laughs) expose them to this type of movie when they're, I guess, old enough to, to, uh, for it to be appropriate for them. But like middle school. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. And it's more about the, um, the themes coming back to the themes, Brandon. Uh, there's, there's a lot of really great, um, ideas in this movie and, and a lot of like, it's a, it's a really inspirational relationship that these two girls have. It's, you know, very uh, true. it's a really close bond that, um, very true. I think is, uh, is inspiration could be inspirational to. I mean, it's beautiful how, how mm-hmm. close they are. It's, yeah, it really is like, sure. it's like one of those friendships that, you know, mm-hmm. needs to be held on to. So yeah. anyway, um, I think we should move on to the next movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to introduce, I want to introduce a movie for you guys. Um, I picked the dead don't die. Pause, 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 pause. So, um, just a brief plot summary of this movie. It's the briefest of plot summaries. The peace, the peaceful town of Centerville finds itself battling a zombie horde as the dead start rising from their graves. This is the new Jim Jarmusch movie, and it stars... There's a lot of people in this movie, but basically it stars Bill Murray, Adam Driver, and Tom Waits, but also Steve Buscemi, Danny Clover, um, Kevin McCormick, RZA, Caleb Lentry-Jones, Rosie Perez, Carol Carol Kane, Tilda Swindon, Iggy Pop, Selena Gomez, Sturgill Simpson. Like, there's so many people in this movie. (laughs) Um. Anyway, uh, so I'm I just I'm bringing up this movie, and I feel like in the film community, it's probably a risky choice um, as a recommendation because it's it's gone pretty poor reviews. Like most people, most people haven't really enjoyed this movie, um, at least from what I've seen. But um, I I really did. I thought this movie was pretty great. Uh, for what it was. And so the thing about Jim Jarmusch is that he, Jim Jarmusch typically makes movies that are, they're genre movies, but they kind of go against the genre. You know, um, Only Lovers Left Alive was a, uh, was a vampire movie, but it didn't have any of the tropes of vampire movies. Um, um, he did a samurai movie with, um, Ghost Dog. He did a samurai movie called Ghost Dog, and it it had no samurai action in it. It was mostly just him living in New York, but it was a samurai movie. Um, he did that Johnny Depp western called uh, Dead Man, and it was it was hardly a western, but it, it he kind of takes these genres and then just kind of plays into them, but kind of strips everything out of them. Um. That being said, um, this was very much a zombie movie, but it was what I kind of would expect as a Jim Jarmusch zombie movie. 
Um, basically, if you've seen Patterson, another one of his movies, or um, Coffee and Cigarettes, mm-hmm. he likes to have characters just kind of hang around. Um, and you know, this is not an art movie like Patterson. Patterson was my number one movie like three years ago. It It's not an art movie like that. This is a ridiculous, dry comedy. Um you get to know all these characters in Centralville as they just live their normal lives and just do completely normal things. And, um, and then a zombie outbreak happens and it's, it's dry, but like just very goofy and strange. And, um, for me, it like, it created this interesting tone because I, I really enjoyed like, as I do all Jim Drummer's movies, I enjoy just hanging around with these people. And then they turn into zombies. And then you keep just kind of hanging around with them. And it's very funny, but um, it's kind of all over the place. Like, it has uh, has some, like, meta-commentary. Um, like, there's a point where um, uh, they turn on the radio. And Am Driver, it's the Sturgill Simpson song. Um, the dead don't die. And Bill Murray kind of looks at it. He goes, why, why is this song sound so familiar? And Adam driver goes, well, it's, it's the theme song. It's the theme song of the movie. So like, it's, 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 it's like, it's got this whole weird vibe to it where maybe the characters know that they're in the movie, but also, you know, it, it's, it doesn't, you know, fully really acknowledge it. And, um, you know, it's, it's silly because of that, but in my, in my opinion, it stays true to itself. Like the, the tone that it creates, it's consistent for that tone. And, um, I don't, I loved it for it. I, there's, uh, one other scene I wanted to, I wanted to tell you guys about where, um, mm-hmm. It's it's the first outbreak in the movie, pretty much. So like, these characters are hanging out the diner, and you know, two, these two women are working there, and Danny Glover's hanging out with them, and you you spend like fifteen minutes like hanging out with them, and you get to know them, and then Danny Glover leaves and he goes home, and then the two zombies walk in, and one of them is Iggy Pop, and he you know they're zombies, they like attack these women and just brutally kill them. The gore is flying everywhere their guts are just hanging out and then Iggy Pop walks over and starts drinking coffee you know he grabs the coffee cup and he's going coffee Uh, he's like dumping the coffee on his head as he's a zombie and then you know then the the scene ends and the next day the cops show up and you know Bill Murray's the sheriff and he walks inside and he sees the bodies laying there and he's like he just walks right out and he's like so shocked that that something like this would happen and Danny Glover's standing outside, and he's like, well, you think that was a wild animal? Or several wild animals? And each cop then, like, the Adam Driver shows up. He's another cop. He shows up, and he walks inside, and he does the same thing. He just looks at the bodies and turns back around. He goes, oh, my God. Well, you think that was a wild animal? Or, or several wild animals? <laughs> and they... They all kind of repeat the same exchange. And it's it's so funny. But, I mean, it also kind of shows how, like, kind of horrifying, you know, a zombie uh, attack would be. Um, anyway, uh, it's 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 over the top. It's ridiculous. It's uh, it's very strange. But um, 
I don't know. I, I loved it for it. And um, I just kind of wanted to like, I just kind of want to bring it up because I really loved it. And uh, I, I know it's not for everybody because it's, it's not, it's not, it's not getting great reviews, but you know, also like, I don't know. I feel like Jim Jarmusch movies aren't for everybody. So I know. So I don't know. That's the, isn't, the dead isn't don't die. in that, in that last or that scene you were just talking about, like, uh, back to the point where you said it's a pretty meta, there's, it's a pretty meta movie. Like, uh, Adam driver, at least in the trailer, Adam driver says like, what do I think it is? I, I, I think it was zombies. And yeah. like, what? <laughs> yeah. And Bill Murray's like, what are you talking about? It's like, no, I, I think those are zombies. Like, yeah. I think we're in the middle of a zombie attack. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty sad. I missed this movie. Um, I was, I really liked Patterson a lot. Um, and definitely only lovers left alive is just one of the best. The thing and is, it's not, it's not, I just have to say though real quick. It's, yeah, yeah. it's not like either not of those that. movies, you know, it's not, but, I respect the hell out of him, and I'm excited sure. to uh, check out his newest film. I'll, I will be renting this for sure. Um, but you kind of just alluded to it, but uh, I didn't expect this from him, but uh, I heard this movie has a ton of gore in it, even though it's more on the comedic side. And, uh, like, yeah, how brutal was it? What Did he um, use that as art? Yeah, I actually recently read a read a interview with the makeup artist and I, I feel like for me personally it didn't exceed um most zombie movies i mean i feel like if you're mm, making a zombie okay. movie you have to really focus on the gore and you have to have some really good shots of guts and blood and you have to make the zombies look believable if you're going to make them and and it succeeded in all those fronts it didn't. It wasn't necessarily one of the best. You know, it wasn't it? It wasn't over the, like the gore wasn't over the top. Like it wasn't like Dead Alive, where there's more blood than possibly. But um, what I enjoyed about it was that you got to meet all these characters, and then just a little bit later, you would see them as as zombies. It's like you know, there's RZA, you know, selling comic books, and then like. An hour later, he's just kind of walking around the streets as a as a zombie. You know, uh, Sturgill Simpson. Actually, funny enough, he's like singing this. You know, he has a, has a theme song in the movie, and then you see him as a zombie dragging a guitar on the ground. It's like, and the, it's all that's all very believable, like with the the makeup and stuff. So, as someone who's never seen a Jim Jarmusch movie, where Derek. does this land on like? <laughs> A way into Jim Jarmusch. Is this like a good starting point? This is probably the movie I've come closest to seeing of his. Um, um, yeah. Or would you recommend starting somewhere else? Yeah. Um, personally, with Jim Jarmusch, I would recommend first watching the scene from Coffee and Cigarettes with Iggy Pop and Tom Waits sitting there drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. Like I would, I would go on YouTube right now and I would, and I would watch just that scene as the intro to Jim Jarmusch. Cause that, uh, that scene for me is like, that's quintessential. That's, that's, that's kind of what he's all about. Um, I, I, I think Patterson is definitely my favorite one of his movies. And I think only lovers left alive might be his best movie, but both of those are like art movies. 
Um, yeah. Um, you know, I was mentioning earlier how he does these things where he like flips the genre. Like, Down by Law is another big one of his. That was one of his first movies. It, maybe it was his first, but it it's about a prison break. But then the prison break happens off screen, and it's more about them hanging out in the prison than what they do when they get out of prison. So, mm. you know, it's it's he's he's a different kind of filmmaker, but. Um, um, and Derek, you I, haven't seen Nick's number one best film of 2016. What's the matter with you? No. God. You should. It's so good. It's Insulting. such a beautiful, quiet little movie. <laughs> anyway, so that's uh, The Dead Don't Die. Um, I would recommend it if you're into something different. But uh, don't be expecting something ordinary. So... Uh, Brandon and Derek, you guys have the same movie for your your choice. Um, mm-hmm. Who wants yes. to take the lead on introducing it? And that movie is... <laughs> that movie is... Toy Story 4. Um, okay, so the IMDb plot summary of this movie is... When a new toy called Forky joins Woody and the gang, a road trip alongside old and new friends reveals how big the world can be for a toy. Um, it, so I loved this movie a lot. This is actually, uh, I think it's like right up there. It might be my favorite Toy Story movie. It's, uh, it's really different than the other ones. I feel like the other ones... Intentionally, you know, the first one's kind of its own thing because it kind of invented this Pixar, this like whole Pixar this, thing. Yeah, like this this genre of filmmaking, which is like these computer generated cartoons. You know, um, so it's kind of its own thing. But but specifically, Toy Story two and three, I I've always felt like they they've always felt like kind of blockbustery animated movies. They both start out with like these cool uh action type scenes and um their their stories are always big and exciting um even if they they keep them pretty personal as pixar always tends to do but this movie i feel like kind of goes a different way and it it is kind of big you know it's got like it is kind of a road trippy type movie but i feel like the scale of it is I mean, I want to say it feels smaller. It feels like a more tight-knit, like, uh, internalized kind of movie. But when when I actually think about, like, the scenes and stuff, it is pretty grand still. But um, I don't know. What I really liked about it is I felt like it dove deeper into the characters, especially Woody. It gets mostly... It's mostly about Woody. There's not a lot of Buzz Lightyear and not, not a whole lot of the other... Uh, fan favorites from the series but <clears throat> I think a lot of that maybe goes to having a I think it's a first time director making this movie um, yeah. Josh Cooley and I think he long term writer like a, first time director yeah I mean he's you know the Pixar gang they're all pretty they all have their hands in every movie but um, I think just having that lead on it maybe um brought just kind of a different tone to it it feels different to me and it feels a little just a little more personal like it's it's a little more of us 
experiencing what Woody yeah definitely goes like, through mentally. Like the know? first movie is is all about Woody and how he reacts to you know Buzz coming into his life and disrupting everything, and it definitely does get back to Woody in this movie and what it what the what it all means to Woody. Like where, right. where does he go? Where does his character go from, um, from where we left off in the third movie? Yeah, I think, yeah. And it definitely explores like the concept of what is like, what, not that this is like anything that matters in real life really, but like what, what it means to be a character in the toy story movies. Mm-hmm. Like, because there's no real way for us to access like that mindset of a toy feeling responsibility of a child. But in a, but this movie does a very good job at doing that of trying to get us into like that mindset. It's kind of a weird place for the movie to go, but I feel like that's what the whole movie is really about. It's all about understanding Woody's perspective and mm-hmm. then Woody understanding like what that means, like if that's his perspective and that's how he feels about the world and his role in like children's lives and stuff, then it's like him coming to realization of what that means for him and where he needs to go. And that's like a, it's a really complicated and personal direction for them to take a movie like this. And after Toy Story 3, which I thought was incredible, I wasn't super excited for a Toy Story 4 but doing that with Toy Story 4 is like exactly what I needed to get excited about it. So Yeah, and what they needed to do, you know, look more inwards as yeah. they uh, as the movies kept expanding. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think one thing that really needs to be said is the animation and what Pixar's doing with the like world they're crafting is getting so intense um, and mm-hmm. so graphically complex. <laughs> Um, I know the obvious one I've heard people talk about is that cat in the movie. Like, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> it is so fucking cat. Like, I, so, it was a split second. I thought that was live action. <laughs> yeah. It's so photo real. And, uh, <laughs> I think people are saying that because, um, you know, Pixar for a while has purposefully toned down the like human animation, like the human models of the characters. So it looks more cartoony. So you're not like seeing some weird uncanny valley that like makes you uncomfortable. You're seeing like something that reminds you of hand animation. But for all their environments and their scenes and that damn cat, (laughs) they went all the way. And so people were just like, we're like, oh my God, this cat in this movie is like 100% real. Um, Also, there was the moment at the very end when they're doing the wide shot, like pulling back and uh, you see this carnival. Uh, I, for a second, like I I was glad that this crossed my mind, but I like closed my eyes and then reopened them to try to just look at the scene as fresh as possible and to just like see the trees and the sunset and the rides. And when I opened my eyes for a split second, I was just like looking at a real shot. (laughs) Now that the toys were like in the distance, I couldn't see the toys of the humans or anything. It was just the setting that they had designed. Um, yeah. yeah, Pixar is like off off the hook getting amazing um i I got that feeling right it like one of the first shots of the movie is the rc car in the water oh yeah the water is so good crap how (laughs) yeah and i was just thinking the story one yeah and like good lord like how i'm watching a cartoon i know for sure i'm watching an animated like (laughs) 
I mean, there's car. A, I can there's see an his RC eyes car winking. with eyes. <laughs> but like, this is real. This is absolutely like it's yeah. nuts. It's crazy how good um, it looks. Yeah, this movie. Uh, it's also really fun, like blast of an adventure. Um, for some reason, mm. I really because it was probably so recent, but I liked Finding Dory more than most people. Like, I didn't think it was like super in depth, but I thought it had just like such a blast of a ride going all the way through it. And this uh, adventure, also that Woody goes on, is really, really fun from start to finish. Um, and I especially really liked the horror aspects of the movie. Um, that was a cool turn. The horror? Um, is that what you said? Yeah, the horror like okay, yeah. genre oh that they do in the movie is yeah. really fun. Um, oh, I know they've done it before so with like Sid terrifying. and stuff, yeah. but and the uh, baby. yeah, yeah. But the, like just the just as an example, the main the main kind of villain doll, uh, the way so she's like one of those dolls where when you lay her on her back, her eyes close, right? They're kind of on yeah. a hinge. Um, but throughout the movie, anytime she moves or like anytime she blinks or does anything, her eyes like you can tell that they're kind of on a hinge and they're like. Oh, they're like kind of move. I didn't notice. So that. like she'll move a little bit, and her eyes will kind of rock back and forth and move. And it was so creepy. It yeah. was so good. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, in such yeah, a great little touch to that character. The, the thrilling part of that, like just when they start to insinuate, like you kind of start to piece together what where she's going with like the questions he's asking. Mm-hmm. Like for sure, <laughs> there's just that there was a moment where like my heart kind of dropped. I was like, oh, like that's. That's like I guess is is like like yeah horror kind of scary as you could probably go with Toy Story like yeah, what yeah. she's yeah. insinuating she Those wants dolls. to do uh-huh. body <laughs> horror yeah, yeah um, like without slashing anything for Nick but <laughs> yeah it's, uh, <laughs> the first one had toy body horror with uh, yeah, Sid that's true. Oh, yeah, yeah it definitely yeah Sid and, this, and stuff the third for one sure. oh, wait which Absolutely. one I guess the Third one had like torture scenes with the kids beat him, destroying. Why does Toy Story keep doing this? (laughs) All right, I think it's the the like collision of like concepts that I think it just this works. This yeah, this franchise lends itself Mm -hmm. to that. Like you're just inviting the opposite as far away from this thing. (laughs) I've been thinking about Toy Story a lot since I saw this movie. It and it's just so impressive to me. Um, the things that the that the franchise comes up with um, to uh, consistently find really interesting themes to explore and really expanding this world, um, expand really pushing the boundaries of the premise of the, that the movie is set up. It's just a movie about toys that talk and think, and they found such clever ways to relate that to humanity and what drives people and where we find purpose and um, how we deal with our own mortality. I mean, literally I'm talking about a movie for kids about talking toys and it's, it's making me think about death and like what that means to, um, what that means to how I live my life. And um, I think this movie, yet again, um, finds a really interesting way to explore new themes that the, that the franchise hasn't, hasn't explored yet. Um, just for example, with Forky, like 
a a new so so not only does it really push the boundaries of the premise by introducing Forky as a creation of this little girl. He's just he's a spork with a popsicle stick stuck to him and some that wire wire brush thing, um, for craft thing, and he is all of a sudden has consciousness because of that. Because and it's of just her like perspective. Yeah, because of, of her things. perspective, and it's like consciousness is born out of this. And yeah. but what does that mean? to like where would something like that find purpose and not only do they find such funny ways oh my god i was laughing so hard at that that <laughs> that scene when he comes trash. alive and he's just trash <laughs> he just wants to be trash but like him discovering purpose in his life it, it just like it's kind of mind-blowing to me how they have been able to find such interesting themes out of such a almost you know adolescent premise like such a a, a childy a childish premise premise um and that's kind of been it's kind of made me think about the series as a whole and, and really looking at the previous movies and and being so impressed with how they've been able to do that repeatedly. So I've just, just kind of wanted to ask you guys, like, are there any ideas or, or themes that, that have really resonated with you throughout the series? Sean, that's, that's uh, so true what you're saying. And it's, it's really, I mean, at the end of the day is, is toy story, like one of the most philosophical, like franchises (laughs) of all time. (laughs) Like, like you're totally right. I mean, the first one starts off with like, it's a pretty simple human sort of like dynamic of like, mm-hmm. you know, what happens when you get replaced by someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second one is also like, what if you could be doing something bigger or quote unquote more important? Mm-hmm. The third one is all about like growing up and things being the world changing and them not being necessarily relevant in that world anymore and and facing death yeah and like facing your own mortality yeah that's what the third one's about and then i mean i haven't seen the fourth one but it's like even the second one does i i mean i i I, I sent you guys that video and and that text earlier today about uh jesse's song and yeah i really really think that i mean that the movie is about her dealing with like the death of a child like I mean, you can yeah. you can very easily relate that to, you know, a parent losing a child. And it's, it's like it's mind blowing to me that all this is in these little kid movies. And, I, and Pixar has done it with other I movies mean, as well. But like, yeah, as a I, was franchise. Say, I think that's like that's probably one of the core concepts, like the, the thing that that drives Pixar to success every time is that I think all of these kids animated movies all come from like deep places like that like Mm -hmm. all all the ones that we that tend to be really good you know and that are looked at as classics Uh, i think that's where they all they they've got to all come from there and that's i think that's why they all resonate so powerfully and work so well as movies just you like explaining that like i i didn't even i didn't even look at it like that like toy story 4 but now that you're like mentioning it all this stuff's rushing into my head and like Mm-hmm. Like I do remember feeling just watching Toy Story four like really proud of Woody, like uh, in like towards the beginning of the movie when like he he immediately accepts Forky as a toy. He knows like mm-hmm. what a toy is, and like 
his dedication to like making sure the importance of a toy like to his like the whole movie is kind of revolves around him and his obsession with uh, toys all toys are it's kind of like all toys are created equal like Mm -hmm. really because it's like the whole point is he's literally trash that she just threw together with a couple little things but Mm -hmm. it's like his his whole drive throughout the movie is making sure that nobody looks at even this little piece of trash as anything less than what everyone else is, you know? Yeah. And another, another one just like actually actually. popped in my head. Like I think throughout the whole series, the, the, um, trash has been kind of a metaphor for death. Like what is death for a toy? It's being, you know, broken and then thrown away in the trash and then dying essentially. And that's like, that's death to these toys. And then like this idea that, Forky is like, like comes from trash and then to trash, he will return type thing. Like <laughs> there's, I don't know. I like, maybe I'm going off the deep no, end the, here. The third one, like, the same thing. They so were, they were in the third one. They were in the, at the dump, you know, yeah. about to go into the yeah. incinerator and yeah. uh, accepting that was the their death, death. And like, but as long as they're together, like that's how they want to go, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's crack. So sad. Well, and I don't think it's a spoiler like that's in the trailers. Bo Peep's in this movie. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's not a spoiler. Yeah. Um, no, she's in the in, first in the, like scene. Well, in the third movie, they insinuate that something happened to her, mm. like either she died or some, or yeah, we don't we don't really know. And um, I think her. Like the concept of her story in this movie plays to what you're saying about trash too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to get too far into like spoilery stuff for Nick, but um, but yeah, I think everything you guys are saying makes a lot of sense, and it that's uh, just it's that's really cool to see how deep these movies go. They really are. They may it may be the best like children's franchise in existence. Oh, it might be the best franchise in general. I mean, they're the lowest rated is, uh, actually tied three and four are tied at 98% with one and two still having a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's such an interesting franchise because I feel like there's, there's absolutely no wrong ranking with it at least. Mm -hmm. Um, cause you could look at it that each one of them gets better or at least more interesting, but the first mm-hmm. one is still such a tight, perfect movie. Like, I I think for me personally, on my Pixar rankings, I have Toy Story number one, the first one. But, I mean, like, two and three are, like, two could be one of those sequels that's in some ways better than the first. And the third one is, you know, it's the capper of a trilogy that ends on such a perfect way. And, I mean, I feel like I just I have to ask it because I haven't seen it. And even though you guys have clearly you've already answered this question, but, you know, the big the big question when they first announced that there was going to be a Toy Story four was um, why? You know, because the third one, uh, the third one ended in such a beautiful all enclosing sort of way where um the world is changing around these characters and how are they staying relevant? And then they stay relevant, but it's kind of like, Hey, life goes on, life continues, but it's a capper, you know, um, Mm -hmm. 
you know, my like question the is like, trilogy. It, yeah, the end of a perfect trilogy. Um, mm. So why make a fourth one on top of that? But I mean, it sounds like it was worth it. Um, so mm. I have a little hot take on that, which I seem to be doing every month now. But um, for me, very personally, I do feel that there were some diminishing returns um, brought on by the fact that this was a fourth movie that they didn't overcome. Um, granted, you guys gave it perfect scores. I loved the movie, but uh, gave it four stars. Um, but yeah, I th- and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that this is kind of like a road trip tangent of a film. And like it's less of like a direct sequel carrying on things that had happened before and more of a movie that like creates its own problems for its characters that they have to, um, that they have to solve within the confines of this own film. Um, what's the word for the thing you like chase? Is that like, is that MacGuffin? MacGuffin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just like MacGuffin left and right. We got to like, we got to find this, we got to get here. We got to keep this person like alive. And, till we reach the end of this journey and it's like yeah, this whole movie's a MacGuffin yeah. and honestly Pixar does that a lot and they do it really well the adventure that these characters go on within the MacGuffin is always fun in all their movies but yeah so to me MacGuffin, right? <laughs> sorry I'm MacGuffin getting a little is actually, but, out but, of control but with the MacGuffin I actually agree Forky what did it kind of end up being a, the MacGuffin yeah uh, towards the end like he so, had a really great opening and and, uh, and and like there's so much to look into with Forky and early on in the movie but at some point he just kind of got got taken and then he was the MacGuffin of the movie he was just the the thing that they were after so yeah yeah, and I so to me, saying. I felt like this, especially compared to some of the new, like the new incredible Pixar movies that blew me away, like Coco and Inside Out. Um, I felt like this one was a little bit more just chasing things around in circles and not really landing like moments of visual animated masterfulness like I saw all over Coco. Um, but it's an, a great adventure. So, but that's just my slight hot take also you don't like themes <laughs> also yeah. i don't like themes so all these Brennan things how they editing. relate will, to like, us in the real world is a little bit exhausting will talk your sleepy. ear off about editing <laughs> but themes he's not so much into right. so there you go for me uh, i think I, this yeah, movie go. Um, I think it was worth it to get the extra insight into Woody. And I think that that actually ended up making it a better ending to the series for me because Mm. it had more closure, I think, than the third one did. The third one kind of ended because they told us it was the ending. It wasn't necessarily that everything was wrapped up nicely in a bow. And uh, I think this movie does that more. And then it also, like, kind of breaks it open where I kind of have a feeling they're probably going to make a Toy Story 5 now. (laughs) I think Pixar has said that that they aren't. So you're kind Uh, of saying the third one, plot-wise, it ended, like, because as a capper. But character-wise, there was still a lot more to tell. And that's what the yeah. fourth one is. Yeah, I, I agree with Derek on that. I see what he means. Interesting. But at the same time, it ends his character, like you said, but almost opens it up for like another as many movies as they want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It kind of it redefines like 
Well, it doesn't. It? I don't know. Yeah. It, yeah no, no, just, that's the right statement. It redefines the like the series, the franchise, and, uh, yeah. and the franchise in a new way to go forward. Yeah. Well, well I'm excited. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, does <laughs> anyone has anyone else heard this? I I believe I heard that this is the last. Actually, I heard that this is the last sequel that Toy Story or that Pixar is going to be doing at least for a, for the oh, foreseeable. That would be so uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, on their schedule, good. there's no more. They usually have like three movies listed out, and there's no mm. more sequels listed. Yeah, they have two movies announced right now, I think, mm. and neither are sequels. Yeah, yeah, and I think they're planning on never doing a another Toy Story movie. Who knows That'd what the future will hold? I mean, it might, ends I mean, it well. It's just yeah. like knowing Disney; it, it feels like they're gonna squeeze more out of it. Mm. But yeah, the nice thing is. Well, hopefully they just don't. If they touch it, they just wait like 10 years or something. Yeah, yeah. which they, I guess that's what they've done so far. The, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you guys start wondering, though, if, you know, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen are going to want to come mm. back at some point. You know, in, in 10 yeah. years, how old is, how old are, how old are those guys going to be? They're so, both in their 60s already. Think, right. So. And like Annie Potts, you know, I mean, I don't yeah. know what Bo Peep does in this movie. Yeah. But. Yeah. Maybe it would be like more of a reboot, like new set of oh. toys or okay. well that's what yeah the other thing is to say have you guys looked at the cast of this movie holy shit it goes so deep with just like it like very fairly well pretty well known actors like you can scroll all the way down to where imdb stops yeah. and Peele, like it, it still so has good. like flea and Part- yeah. patricia arquette and hmm. the later down <laughs> at the bottom of the list wow <laughs> yeah, it's shout crazy. out to Key and Peel too. I, I oh, yeah, from the trailers, I wasn't like they didn't really, you know, what they were doing wasn't really. I didn't find that funny, but they were so funny in this movie. I loved. I was laughing so freaking hard at mm-hmm. their like uh, their plans, like their <laughs> yeah, like I don't know what you call those vignettes yeah, yeah. of like what their uh-huh. ideas. Of <laughs> it's just so freaking funny. Yeah. Oh my god! And cool. Forky, you guys, I, I I don't think I've laughed that hard in a movie so far this year, at least, or it's been a while. That was so <laughs> so funny. We just wanted to go back to the trash. Trash, trash, trash. Yeah, it was good. Good stuff. Cool. Yep. Well, I think that kind of brings it to the end of the episode, guys. So, um, yeah. unless you guys have any final thoughts, any final thoughts, see them. any, yeah. any movies you're looking forward to next month? I'm really Spider- looking forward Spider-Man. to midsummer. Oh, midsummer, mid-summer looks great. Summer, Spider-Man. Not looking um, forward to Lion King. Lion King is going to wipe the floor with all these other movies. I'm so excited for Lion King. I don't know when we're going to record next month, but uh, once upon a time in Hollywood comes out at the end of the month, so I don't know if we'll be recording before or after that, but that's a big one for me. It's going to be a busy one. I'm excited. I'm going to try seeing uh, Annabelle Comes Home this weekend. Oh, nice. Finish out the Annabelle trilogy. (laughs) Annabelle? I know you guys are all big fans of. Annabelle the Cannibal? (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm getting married in a couple weeks, though, so... And uh, yeah, congratulations, Nick. Thanks, um, Nick. But um, yeah, so it's hard to see in movies when you're planning a wedding, though, too. So mm. for sure, um, weekends are busy. But anyway, so um, anyway, I'm excited to talk to you guys next month about movies. So um, 
anything you guys want to add? No. Okay, no, well, that's it. Cool. No. Well, thanks everybody for listening and uh, enjoy watching some movies. Ta ta. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.